following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning to share with you from, from God's Word. As Pastor Brian was saying, I am the Los Angeles Director uh, for Chosen People Ministries. And, you know, it's been, uh, it's been just an incredible uh, walk. This year is my 20th year as a believer in Yeshua, Jesus. Yeshua is the Hebrew way to say Jesus. And as Pastor Brian was telling you, uh, in your bulletins, you may have received this brochure for Chosen People Ministries, and it talks about what we do and, and our ministry. We have, pretty much have a two-fold ministry. Uh, the first is to share the gospel, as I like to say, Jewishly, in ways that Jewish people can understand and appreciate and enjoy and maybe not enjoy, but at least they'll understand what you're saying. And then we also desire to share our, the Jewish roots, our, the foundation of our faith, with the body of Messiah. And so that's our, our twofold ministry. If you go ahead and open up the brochure, you'll see a picture of my, myself and, and my wife Lisa and our five boys, and, and they're here today. Three of them are, in the, are listening, and the other two are in your children's ministry. You know, sometimes preaching in front of your family... It's like being a figure skater at the Olympics, and you're the U.S. figure skater, and you've got the East German judges there, at least the boys, but uh, <laughs> you just pulled off like a triple axel, and they're like 4.2. <laughs> no, but they're good boys, and uh, Lisa and I, we just love uh, seeing what they come up with next. Actually, this last week, they went to a worldview camp, and at the worldview camp, they took them to UCLA. Uh, I think it was Thursday, to share um, their faith, because that's what we do in our biblical worldview. And they shared their faith, and of course, uh, my oldest son ran into a Jewish person and got to witness to them. And so you can talk to Elijah about that, and, and even Joseph was like, I got an idea, let's all go witnessing. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> so they caught the fire, and, and I trust that you have, and if, maybe you haven't, maybe, you're, maybe you did, but right now, you're sort of in that period where, you know, I'm a little nervous about witnessing or sharing my faith. I hope that uh, and trust that as you just continue to worship, continue to read your Bible, uh, that God will speak to you and that you will have opportunities to share. Now, you go ahead and open up the brochure. We're not quite done with this brochure yet all the way. You'll see a perforation. And if you go bring it back and forth, we're going to participate in an ancient Messianic Jewish tradition it's called the tearing of the slip. So at the count of three, we're going to tear it together. One, two, three. Now, Pastor Brian, who's normally always right, was only half right this morning. Uh, he said that this book was for sale, and it is. If you'd like to purchase the book for $10, you may. Or if you go ahead and fill out the card, your name and address, name, address, phone number, email, uh, you can go ahead and grab the book for free. So it's up to you, whatever you'd like to do, and you can just leave the card filled out at the back table. There's plenty of books, I hope, here this morning. And one of the things that we love for you to do is if you, after you've read it, you can share some of the truths in this, in this book with your Jewish friend. And what I really like about this book is this book was the sort of heart or the center of our outreach that we just completed, which I guess I don't want to steal my own thunder. I'll talk about in a little bit. But on the back table next to the book, 
we do have these cards. Well, one of them is my business card, so if you want to go ahead and take that, and you can email me or talk to me later uh, during the week. But also we have these cards. It's called, This Chapter Will Change Your Life. And it's all about Isaiah 53, and it is a small picture. I know you can't see it here, but uh, it's kind of cool that Pastor Brian showed it a few weeks ago up on your uh, PowerPoint, up on your overhead. But this card is the same image of the billboards that we had all over Los Angeles. We had roughly 15. I think we had about four or five here in the San Fernando Valley. And they were to catch the eye, not just of Jewish people, although it is a message from the Hebrew Bible, Isaiah chapter 53, but also to catch the message of anybody with a seeking heart. And they would call in or, or go to our website and they would get this book uh, for free. And this book is an opportunity to share with both a Jewish person and a non-Jewish person who's open, who's seeking the truth about our faith. And literally, uh, when people come to faith in Yeshua, again, the Hebrew way to say Jesus, Yahweh is salvation, that's uh, literally what it means, or, or just salvation. And when people come to faith in Jesus and Yeshua, their lives are transformed. And this particular chapter is the chapter in the Hebrew Bible which gives the entire, not only the biography of the life of the Messiah of Israel, who we believe is Jesus of Nazareth, but it also gives the gospel as well. So this is a, a, hopefully a tool that you can use, not just to reach your Jewish friend, but to reach anyone who's open. You know, we live in this kind of postmodern, that's a big term, or post-biblical, post-Christian society. It's really a society that doesn't necessarily hold to a biblical worldview, that doesn't believe the Scripture is the literal Word of God. Uh, And this type of message, a message like Isaiah 53, is a message that can break through the secular heart as well as the Jewish heart and speak to people and encourage them and, uh, Lord willing, even bring them to faith. And so this is just something that, as uh, I'm sharing this morning, that maybe you'd be praying about. You know, it's that, because really, uh, it's the gospel message that will transform not only our lives, but the lives of our community, our city, our state, our nation. And we as followers of the Messiah, of Jesus, we have to start to interact with the Ruach, the Spirit of God. We have to say, where do I fit in in your plan? Where do I fit in in what you're doing? It's not just up to the pastor or the worship leader or the elders or somebody who's been trained at a seminary or a Bible college, each one of us has a role to play in this great plan of God. Each one of us has gifts and talents. And so part of my encouragement to you this morning is to encourage you, as as I'm sharing today, not just about Jewish ministry, but about ministering to people and where you fit in, where God, how God wants to use you. And if you already believe you know, then praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Then it's about just refining, you know, being conformed, hearing from the Spirit, being guided until either we go to see him or he comes to see us. That's a different message. But. So let's pray and we'll look into God's Word. Father, just thank you so much for your Word. We thank you, Lord, for this community that you've built up. And we pray, Lord God, that this community would grow. We pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen us. And we pray, Lord God, that you would just be 
who you are. That we wouldn't put you in a box. That we wouldn't just sort of make you conform to our image. But as the scripture teaches, that we would be conformed into your image. And that this body, this fellowship that's here, representative of fellowships all over the world, that it would truly be your body. That we would truly be representative of what you're doing in and through each one of us, in and through our community. And that by your grace, as we look into your word and as we seek not just to be hearers, but to be doers as well, to not only have our minds anointed, but our hands and feet, that by your grace, we can, and we thank you in advance, we can make a difference. We can make a difference and that we can reach the hurting heart. Because as uh, I believe it's Emerson says, People live lives of quiet desperation. But you desire to break through the desperate heart and to minister. And I believe each person here has somebody, whether they're in their life today or a future somebody, that you want them to minister to. And I pray you'd be preparing them right now to be ready for that someone. Maybe a name is coming into our minds right now. That may very well be the somebody that you want us to minister to into the kingdom. Or maybe there's somebody we're going to meet this week or this month. But each person here has someone that you want us, as Pastor Brian was saying, to be that drink offering, to pour ourselves out into, to, to minister, to disciple, to care for, to serve, to pray for. And so I pray, Lord God, that this morning you would just speak to our hearts, and I thank you that you will. And Father, we also pray for the fullness of the nations to come in, to believe in you, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray and thank you, and Lord, even, dare we say, look forward to that day in our lifetimes when all Israel will be saved. In Yeshua's mighty name, amen. Well, around 603, 604 BCE, as a Jewish person, we throw that E on there instead of before Christ. We say before the common era. That's, uh, so when you're running into Jewish people, you might want to say BCE. But about 630 years before the birth of Jesus, Nebuchadnezzar's armies came into Jerusalem, Judea, and they conquered it. And from that point forward, there was no more a king, uh, king in charge of Jerusalem on the throne of David. There was a vassal king for a few more years, but by 586, the temple was destroyed and Judea, Jerusalem, the rest of the nation was brought into captivity. And biblical scholars call this the beginning of the time of the Gentiles. And really, until Yeshua returns and takes up a physical throne on earth, That's sort of the time we're in, time of the nations, the time when, yes, the son of David is ruling at the right hand of the father, but he has not yet established completely his kingdom. Now, in Acts chapter 2, I guess around 33 AD or CE, the Holy Spirit came forward and breathed out onto a new community, not just specific individuals or people, but unto all who would come to faith and put their trust in Messiah Yeshua. And this started what many people would call the church age, or the age of the body of Messiah. And from that point forward, 
Yeah, with some ups and downs, we've been in sort of this age, this concurrent time period between the time of the Gentiles, when we're still awaiting and looking forward to the day when the son of David will come back and take his throne, and the age of the body. And sort of when those two events happen, you know, the body will be reestablished, the bride with, with her bridegroom, and the time of the Gentiles will come to an end and God will reign. But there's one more period that you may not have heard a lot about that I want to share with you this morning. And that's the time of the remnant, or the age of the remnant. Because at the very time when the, when the Messiah came and then ascended and then the Spirit came and, and gave forth his breath and entered into the hearts of those men and women who put their trust, their faith in Messiah, God made another promise. And that promise was that every generation from the time of Yeshua's resurrection until the present day, there would always be a remnant of the nation of Israel, a a, a fragment, a smaller part of the greater whole that would believe in Yeshua. And that remnant has grown and shrunk and grown over the ages. At the time of Yeshua, it was the largest it's ever been. But did you know that in this present generation, it's almost as large, or this is the largest the remnant has ever been since Yeshua walked among us and rose from the dead and ascended. And so another period that I like to call this is the time of the remnant, the age of the remnant, concurrently with the time of the Gentiles and the age of the church. And by application, because it talks about this in Revelation, I believe chapter 6, when one day every tribe and tongue will bow the knee and the feet before the Lord our God and worship Him. By application, every community, so to speak, will have a remnant. But God specifically speaks of the remnant of Israel, the remnant of His chosen people, who He chose for specific purpose. Not because they're better. He chose them by His unmerited favor, His love for the fathers, for Abraham, for Isaac and Jacob. He chose them He brought them first out of Ur, the Chaldeans, into, as my Hebrew teacher growing up used to say, Canaan. I grew up, it was Canaan. She was Israeli, but Russian-Israeli. I don't know where she got her accent, so I grew up going Canaan. And then when I became a believer, people would say Canaan, and I didn't know what they were talking about. (laughs) I had to relearn a few things after I became a believer. And so brought them into Canaan, and then later the nation out of Egypt, and this special nation, he gave them the Word of God, the Torah. And through this nation, He gave us the Messiah. And through this nation, the original, the first disciples were believers. And the Brit Hadashah, or New Testament, was written primarily by Jewish people with the exception of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Although I, I have to be honest with you, I have a hard time believing that the only books in the Bible that were written by a doctor uh, wasn't Jewish. But that's a, that's a whole other story. <laughs> The one doctor is not Jewish in the scriptures. Okay, but anyway. So, so God makes this promise out of his grace, his unmarried favor, because of his love, that he will maintain a remnant. Even though national Israel rejected her Messiah, God, out of his love, said, I will still maintain a remnant. Let's look. We're going to start at Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 20. We're going to talk about this remnant. 
We're going to talk about this remnant as it is important and pertains to God and also as it pertains to you and to me and the challenges that the Apostle Paul makes to us, really to the Roman congregation, the Roman church, but it's prophetically, of course, speaking to us. And what's really fascinating about this is he's speaking to a church that really is predominantly non-Jewish. In other words, he is talking about you know, Romans 9, 10, and 11, all this Jewish stuff to a church in a community that is very small in its Jewish population, which I think is also a lesson for us today because a lot of us sometimes come in and we're like, why are we talking about Jewish things? I'm not Jewish. And maybe some of these Roman Christians were feeling the same way, and yet Paul, to this Roman church that would one day become the central church for millennia, he wants to impart to them the importance of the Jewish people. Romans 10, verse 20. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, and it is bold. What does he say? He says, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary, in the Torah it says stiff-necked, people. And I have a little experience about being stiff-necked. Last year I was camp director for Camp Sar Shalom, and Mark Villarreal, uh, one of your youth um, directors, pastors, was uh, a counselor with us. And for the first three days, I literally had a stiff neck. I woke up the morning of camp. It actually started the day before, and I was doing everything. I mean, I did things I would never have done. You know, massages. I don't really like massages. I know some of you love massages. That's great. I'm not passing judgment. I'm just saying I don't. I'm not really a big fan of going to doctors, let alone chiropractors. I did everything I could to make it feel better. But for the first 72 hours, I was literally a walking illustration of a stiff-necked Jew. I just, <laughs> I, I couldn't sleep. It was the first time I cried since the Dodgers lost the first two games of the World Series in 1981. It was, no, I've cried a few more times than since then. But the point is, is that uh, he, Isaiah says, and Isaiah is a, an important prophet to the Jewish people. He's like number two. You, know, you got Moses. We can't even really call Moses a prophet. He's so big. But he'd be a prophet. He'd be number one. And Isaiah's number two. It's sort of like Moses is the Matt Kemp and Isaiah is the Andre Ethier. I mean, it's that. It's like one, two there. And this is what Isaiah is saying about the Jewish people. But if Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands. Sorry, ladies, that was baseball. I gave you figure skating earlier. All day long... I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary stiff-necked people. Verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1. I ask then, and this is, this is critical for you to understand, because we're not allowed to be Isaiah. We have to be the body. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. See, this is important because a lot of people think that because the Jewish people, national Israel not remnant Israel, national Israel has rejected the Messiah, that that means we can just be mean to national Israel and we can say all sorts of nasty things about them and have all sorts of bitter or hard feelings towards them, but that's not the heart of God. And as we desire to be conformed in the image of God, we seek to have the heart of God and we know part of what the heart of God is because 
Back in Romans chapter 9, verse 3, Paul said, I wish myself to be accursed, separated from the gospel for the sake of my people, Israel. Verse 2, for, verse 1, For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So he's giving his fleshly credentials here as a member of the Israelite nation. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Now this is after Elijah and the prophets, where he takes on the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, and he defeats them on Mount Carmel and has this incredible victory. And after that, Isaiah is, is unhappy with his kinsmen. He says, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left. They seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? Yeah, you're right, Elijah. I don't like them much either. No, that is not the holy reply. He says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. He's not said, I'm giving them all over. We'll start anew. No, he says, I have maintained for myself a remnant. See, this is Paul's example, illustration from the Hebrew Bible, that God is always maintaining a believing remnant of Jewish people. Even when throughout their history, they did things. They rejected the chief prophet of their time, which at that time was Elijah. And later in the time of Messiah, it was Messiah himself, who's more than a prophet. He's the son of the living God. He says, but what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. My Hebrew teacher also said Baal, just so you know. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Now, the remnant is chosen two ways. They have to be an Israelite. My name is Michael Cohen. I'm Jewish. My mother's Jewish. I went to Hebrew school for eight years. I was bar mitzvah. That's sort of my remnant credentials. That's like Paul saying, I'm an Israelite, the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a kiss. I'm of the tribe of Levi, a Cohen. So I'm Jewish. My mom's Jewish. The rabbis say my mom is, you know, since your mother's Jewish, you're Jewish. Incidentally, are there any John Smiths in the audience today? No? Well, and probably in a crowd of about 100 people, 200 people, there's either a John Smith or a Michael Cohen. See, Michael Cohen is to the Jewish community as John Smith is to the non-Jewish community. It's probably the most common uh, Jewish name, uh, Michael Cohen. When I was growing up in Canoga Park, I got my first library card. It was great. There were 21 Michael Cohens with a library card at that same <laughs> library. And so at least my middle name was David. There were three Michael David Cohens. And so I said, I'm going to become a believer, and I could just separate myself from all the other Michael Cohens and be part of this remnant. There are three Michael Cohens uh, that serve at Chosen People Ministry. <laughs> but only one Michael David Cohen that's uh, serving here in Los Angeles. All right, so, so God has chosen a remnant. And that remnant is by the flesh, but it's also by grace, by grace. God has chosen a remnant according to grace, God's unmerited favor. And verse 6, I would challenge you just underline verse 6, because verse 6 transcends uh, what I'm talking about today, but it's the heart of the gospel. It says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. 
Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And just as you came to faith by God's grace, not by works, you continue, you and I should continue to live out our faith by grace, not by works. Which really leads us into outreach and evangelism. You know, when I came to faith, just in my family alone, there are better people than me in my family. There are nicer people. And I don't mean my wonderful wife and children. I'm even talking about my sister and my brother. You know, they're nicer than me. Yes, my kids, they'll tell you. They work harder than me. But God saved me. He made me part of his remnant by grace. And I just seeking to serve him by grace. Because if it was by works, I'd probably be, who knows where I'd be. But by grace, loving wife, five boys, L.A. director, just continually asking God for his favor, unmerited as it is, to reach out to this community, Jewish community. And so we have to remember that it's by grace. It's by grace. The condition of the Jewish people Verse 7, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, the remnant by grace, but the rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. And so, Yes, there was consequences to the rejection. That As God is bringing forth a remnant of Jewish people that believe, and I I talked to you earlier about the age of the remnant, that's really what we're in. You see, national Israel has a very difficult spiritual condition. Very difficult spiritual condition. David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, a retribution. Eyes are darkened. They cannot see. Their backs are bent. This is not good. This is not a good description of national Israel. Yet out of this, God is bringing forth a remnant. God is bringing forth a remnant of people that believe. Now, I have up here a sort of total of the Jewish people, a number of Jewish people in the world, 13.4 million. That's 0.19% of the world population. And in a way, you know, he says the table. Remember in Psalm 23, God has prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. The table is sort of the place of comfort. It's a place of peace. It's a place of blessing. And for the Jewish people, that place of blessing can be education, it can be prosperity, and it can be rabbinic tradition, depending upon whether they're religious, whether they're secular, whether they're just trying, you know, American dream and trying to fulfill and satisfy after hundreds of years of living in Eastern Europe and being impoverished, you know, Fiddler on the Roof, Tevye, you know, the guy comes out and he says, wealth is a curse, and Tevye runs out and says, may God curse me with it, and may I never recover. <laughs> well, to some Jewish people, their table is being blessed. I mean, the Jewish people, 0.19% of the world's population, 2.1% of the U.S. population, and yet incredible amount of influence. Steven Spielberg? Very influential. I mean, very Oppenheimer, Einstein, these are influential people, yet making up a small percentage. That's their table. And God continues to bless national Israel in other ways, even though, yes, it is hard for them to receive. And part of that blessing is that he is bringing forth Jewish people to come to faith. 
Los Angeles, home to 600,000 Jewish people. San Fernando Valley, home to 250,000 people. Um, We right now in Sherman Oaks, this is like two miles from the epicenter, maybe even less, depending upon, but I kind of think of the epicenter of the valley, uh, the Jewish community of the valley as Ventura and Balboa. You know, some of you call Encino like Little Tel Aviv. Well, this would be like Netanya in terms of Israel. There are more Jewish, Hebrew-speaking Jewish people living in the San Fernando Valley than any other place on earth other than Israel. This is the Hebrew-speaking capital outside of Israel. Los Angeles is the fourth largest Jewish community in the world. We rival Jerusalem in size. New York is the largest Jewish community, city. Tel Aviv is the second. We live in an amazing opportunity. Sherman Oaks, my wife and I, when we were first married, we lived right down at Dickens and Beverly Glen. Uh, Orthodox Jewish man owned the building next to us. I got, had opportunities to witness to him. So many incredible opportunities. And I want to just share, we go to the next slide. Let's see if the next slide. Well, before I share, I'll just give you just another little background here. 10% of, this is American Judaism, American Jewish people. About 10% are Orthodox. About 57% are either liberal, conservative, or reform. Those are the three, not liberal, I'm sorry, are either reform, conservative, or reconstruction, humanistic, and they're attending some kind of synagogue roughly once a month or once a couple times a year. 67% of the Jewish community is observant in one of the three branches of Judaism, the three main. Orthodox, which is the traditional. If you were kind of comparing it to the church, you'd say the Orthodox, so they're like the evangelical, you know, fundamental. And then you've got the conservative reform, which is sort of liberal churches. And then you have the secular Jewish community, about 33%. And somebody asked me once, they said, well, it's the secular community that's the most open, right? And actually... No, I, don't, I used to think that too. Like the more, less religious, uh, the more open. But I don't necessarily think that's true. I think it's, it's like all of us. The more affiliated we are with one of our communities, the less open. But an Orthodox Jewish person may very well be interested in what the Bible says because they believe in the Bible. Whereas a secular Jewish person may be like just a normal person who you open up the Bible and they're like, oh no, I don't believe that because they've been publicly educated or university trained not to believe in God and the scriptures. And so this is why we can't, we have to get beyond formulas. We have to get beyond formulas and get into the heart of God. If we'll go to the next uh, slide. Reaching Jewish people. Actually, let's go to the next one. We'll, we'll, Yes, okay. I want you to look at Romans chapter 11. This is the last text we're going to look at because this is critical for us. Remember I said there was two challenges. One is God's heart for the remnant, but what does that mean for us? Well, this is one aspect. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather that through their trespass, salvation has come to the nations, the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. I want you, if you do write in your Bibles, you can underline that, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the nations, failure, rejection of Yeshua, Jesus, meant riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their inclusion mean? Now, that's kind of a motivator. There's two things now. 
We have a responsibility to provoke Jewish people to jealousy. And a motivator is, if their rejection of Messiah meant that I, in some mystery, have come to faith in him, how much more will their inclusion be? It's sort of like, if you think the cake is good now, well, wait till you get the whole desserts once national Israel comes to faith. And later, in Romans eleven twenty six, we learn that the cake is the second coming. The cake is the second coming. I should say the whole dessert, the whole meal. But let me just read on, because this is, this is also critical for us. Now, in speaking to you Gentiles, not speaking to Jewish people, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. So he's like, you're Gentiles, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. Even though I'm Jewish, God has called me as an apostle to the Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I, you can underline this part, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. So he says part of why we came to faith was to make Jewish people jealous. And then he says his ministry, which is not to the Jewish people, it's to the nations, somehow gets magnified when he makes his fellow countrymen jealous and saves some of them. For, and then he goes on with another motivator. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And again, if you look down at verse 26, it's the second coming, their acceptance they're going to come to faith about the time when Yeshua comes. Their, their rejection meant Gentile transformation. The nations would come to know the God of Israel. Their acceptance now means the world consummation, the world transformation, and the kingdom is coming. So what do we do about this remnant? If what Paul is saying is true, and the remnant is critical for our ministry, both to provoke them to jealousy and maybe even magnify, especially here in San Fernando Valley. Because I'll tell you, I've spoken all over the world. I spoke in India. Not a lot of Jewish people in India. I've spoken in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A few, not as many. But I'm speaking here in the San Fernando Valley, the Hebrew-speaking capital of the world for Jewish people outside of Israel quarter of a million Jewish people living just in the valley, probably one of the most densely populated Jewish communities other than Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. You have, and you may have a ministry right now to Asian people, to Latin people, but Paul gives you a promise. He says, if you are an apostle, a sent one, to the Latin community, you can, as he believed, can magnify your ministry if you save some of the Jewish people. And how can we do that? Well, I'm sure Pastor Brian has already talked to you about the person of peace. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 12, there's no formula. But as you go looking, seeking by God's grace, power of prayer, recognizing that this is part of our biblical responsibility for the person of peace, for that person who gives you a smile, for that person who just says hi, for that neighbor who just, you have favor, a workmate, a neighbor, a family member, a relative. As you go walking, as you go in your life, I want you to believe that God will bring to you person or people or a household of peace. And some of those households living here in Sherman Oaks, 
which if it's not the epicenter, it's, you're going to feel the tremors, let me tell you. It's that some of those people at peace will be Jewish. And I have a list here of just, you know, some areas that you might find a person of peace. Uh, Lynn Corey, who authored the Neighborhood Initiative, he sort of puts it into three spheres, family and friends, work and hobby, and neighborhood, where you live. And I guarantee you, you walk down your neighborhood praying, and it starts with prayer. You just pray through your neighborhood. You will see a lot of homes with that little shiny metal object on the doorpost. That's a mezuzah. That means they're Jewish. Or they're a believer with a, with a Jewish heart. But nine times, nine and a half times out of ten, that's a Jewish home. You could just stop and pray. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Because my ultimate ministry at Chosen People Ministries is about the remnant. I'm seeking the remnant of Israel. I know national Israel is hard until the Messiah comes. I've shed a lot of tears over that. I don't understand that. But that's God's doing. God is good. And I leave that with Him. I have no judgment or condemnation over national Israel. It's just God working with this nation. But within this nation, there is a remnant. And my desire is to pray, evangelize, disciple, and serve the remnant, the Jewish people. Some of them are already believers. Some of them are not yet believers, and they're coming. And I want to prepare a place for them. You know, and I can only do it by God's grace and do it by the community that God puts me in. And I believe that this place, this church, this community can do the same thing. You know, let this be a place that is culturally, as, as, we, as Brian said, the word he received. And can we go to the next slide? The word he received was diversity. Well, really, if you think about it, Jewish people are diverse, but they're also the root. You know, Paul talks about in Romans 11, further on, he talks about the root of our faith is the patriarchs, it's Israel. So it's part of our diversity, but it's also part of our unity. And this can be a place that is sensitive and understanding of Jewish people, as well as the nations. Los Angeles, San Fernando Valley, home to 150 different cultures. This is the melting pot of the world. We don't need to go. It's good to go, and if God's put in your heart to go, great. We can be missionaries right here. Uh, The person of peace, let's go to the next slide. I already talked about proclaiming, caring, discipling, serving. A couple of just items. Well, what do I do when I see a person of peace? What do I do when I run across a person of peace? If they're open, I mean, obviously it's the Lord. He may just want you to pray. He may, they may need something. You know, maybe you can serve. Maybe you have a gift for them. God may say, you know, go bring them a gift. Who knows? Go help them. They're out yard weeding if you're in your neighborhood, and they're weeding or mowing the lawn or gardening or doing something or cleaning the garage. Maybe you need to say, you know what? I've got to spend a couple of hours helping this person. But if there's also an opportunity to get into a spiritual conversation, the first thing, this is kind of a three-step approach, and I'm going to leave you with this, but the first is ask a question. Engage that person with an evangelistic question. So you found a person of peace. Now, in your goings, you're sowing seed, and sometimes you may see somebody and you ask an evangelistic question, and they're like, whoa, 
and they get very distant with you, well, then maybe they're not a person of peace. Sometimes I say, hey, do you got a moment for a question before I even get into anything spiritual? Because I really, you know, we live in an age where we, people want their boundaries and they want their time respected. And they don't want to feel like, oh, well, they're helping me just to do this. So sometimes you have to cultivate a relationship. And depending upon the amount of time you have with that person, let the relationship flow spiritually. But if you only have a few minutes, you're sitting on a bus, or you're in a plane, uh, you're on a plane, or you're, you're hanging out somewhere where you don't have a lot of time with somebody, hey, you got a moment for a question? Yeah, sure. You know, and then you can ask a question. Who do you think the Messiah is? That's more Jewish. Who do you think Jesus is? You know, who do you think Jesus is is very timely for a secular audience, a secular world. Uh, do you believe in life after death? How do you know you're going to heaven? Does life have meaning or is it random? That's a good one for our age. So, do you got a moment for a question? You run into the person of peace. You're praying. You're a prayerful person. You're, you're really seeking. This is, what, this is the way Yeshua, this is his model. This is what he's calling us to do. Uh, next. Once they answer the question... You don't want to just jump into your monologue. Ask them how they came to that conclusion. Do you believe in life after death? No, I believe once you die, you're dead. Whoa. Okay, well, let me tell you what I think about life after death. Ask what, because sometimes there's something deep in there. It's not just about some intellectual discussion. Sometimes there's something deep in there that God needs to sort of get to the surface. How'd you come to that conclusion? Well, I grew up in the church, and they beat the whole you know, God, you know, Jesus came and died for your sins, and, and uh, you have to believe in him. Otherwise, if you don't, uh, you're going to have eternal consequences, all this stuff. And I got turned off because, you know, that's good. See, now they're getting that out. But you want to you hear from them. Once you've shown that you are really interested in what that other person has to say, you have a relationship, and you may very well be able to speak into that relationship. But you're praying you're asking God to bless your time with that person. Uh, can you go to the next question, uh, slide there? So ask an evangelist question. Ask how why the person came to that conclusion. Really listen to the response. You know, two ears, one mouth. Use them in proportion. <laughs> Used to hear that a lot uh, growing up, so <laughs> I share that with you in love. And then finally... Ask the person if they've ever considered. Answer the question if you can. Maybe they come up with a whole bunch of wild stuff, and you're like, wow, I've never heard of that. Can we meet again? And I can talk to you more about this weird thing that they brought up about something that happened in history or whatnot. Try to have a relationship. Be seeking an ongoing relationship, not just a one time. But if you only have one time, share your answer as best you can. If, it, if you can share the gospel, share the gospel. If you could share your testimony, again, you have to gauge the amount of time you have. And then offer prayer. See if the, and that's a good barometer. If somebody will let you pray for them, usually means there's an opening there. So that is sort of, you know, as you are going and doing your ministry, getting back to the Apostle Paul saying he magnifies his ministry if he wins some of the Jewish people, as you are going out and sharing you run across a Jewish person, you can share with them. And hopefully, I believe, that God will magnify your ministry, whether it, maybe it's just 
your ministry to your children as a homemaker. That's great. God can magnify that ministry, whatever your ministry is. There is a certain promise in here. And I'm going to go ahead and, and close with that and just say that God has challenged us to remember the remnant. Now, by application, we know that every tribe and tongue, that God loves everyone, and that one day the fullness of the nations will come in, and then all Israel will be saved. But Paul, God through the Apostle Paul, has challenged us to remember Israel. Other places in this very passage, he says we can't boast against them. That even though national Israel has rejected God, God has not rejected him, and that's sort of between them. It's kind of like, you know, you walk into a family, and mom, your mom and your older sister are having a fight. You just, you know, that's between them. (laughs) I love them both of you. I'm not getting in the middle of that. Sort of like, that's the way we have, I don't want to get in the middle of that. I want to love them both. God has said some very important things about Israel, and one of them is, is that there's a remnant right now. And I want to just challenge you to go and prayerfully look for the remnant. Look for the people within national Israel. Look for the remnant because they are the people of peace. And as you come across them, give them a book. And if you can't give them a book, on the back, there are these cards. Give them a card. Say, hey, check this website out. And if you've got an opportunity to get their email or phone number, I'd like to call you and see what you think about it. There's a little 26-minute video right on the website that talks about Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua of Nazareth in Isaiah 53. Start a conversation and let God take it where he will. Let's pray. The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making him known.